you want to walk through on farm, you want to see it on a video. I mean, the people who have negative negative things to say are going to be doing the exact same thing. So in this generation of farming, it is our job to have a transparent industry. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. So what's the truth about dairy farming? Is it bad for the cows? Do they not have the life that they should? This week, we talk with a dairy farmer who didn't grow up dairy farming. She grew up outside of the farming world and now has become a dairy farmer and has learned so much. She is a herd manager, a, a herdswoman at a farm in Northwest Washington in Whatcom County. She's the person in charge of making sure the cows are well taken care of. And she shares so much of the knowledge that she's learned about what really goes on on dairy farms and how it really works, how cows are taken care of. Brianna Parmentier is her name. She shares her story and a lot of inside detail about really how it works on a dairy farm and how those cows are taken care of. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Glad to have you here. These are the kinds of conversations we have each and every week to find out what the truth is about farming and what the real human stories are behind the food that we produce and eat here in Washington State. Our sponsors are Mana Insurance Group. They are based here locally where I'm from in Whatcom County, and they have offices now in California and Arizona as well, but their whole mission is about planning ahead rather than reacting when bad things happen. That's what most people think of when they think of insurance, but that's not how Mana thinks of it. it com- the, the company was founded by a high school classmate of mine, a great guy, and I know they'll take great care of you, so check them out, manainsurancegroup.com. Also, Dairy Farmers of Washington, wadairy.org is their website. Would love to have you check that out. You know, what we're talking about today with Brianna is very much in line with uh, the stories that they're telling all the time at wadairy.org, including on their virtual farm tour that they have available there now, plus so much more information about the truth about how milk is produced and the quality of dairy products that come out of Washington State. Wadairy.org, again, the Dairy Farmers of Washington, sponsoring the podcast as well. So some people are really concerned that animals are like being exploited to produce milk for us to drink, you know, all these dairy (laughs) products or for farms to profit or whatever. What's your take on that? You manage the cows on this farm. You're the, the herdswoman. Are these cows happy? Are they okay? So we wouldn't be able to get quality of milk or volume of milk out of the cows at all if they were any sort of stressed. Mm. So it is not in any, I'm going to say farming in general, their yeah. best interest to have stressed animals. So by providing 24 hours of feed and misters in the parlor when it's hot and fans and most of these cow pens have cow brushes in them and just enrichments and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It provides them the most stable environment, constant to day to day for them to go about their life, eat their milk or and eat, get yep. milked. Relieve the pressure, and it's consistent. So by that consistency, we get the most amount of product. Yeah, cows don't really like change for what I've been told. No. They just like the same thing every day. I wouldn't want to eat the same thing every day, but they seem to do pretty dang well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No. uh, The heat is one thing that weather is out of everyone's control, but it's in our best interest to try to keep it somewhat the same every single day so Mm -hmm. the barns provide a nice 
stable temperature that we can kind of control with fans to keep the air flowing because air quality makes a really big difference in animal health because they're they're pooping they're coughing they're doing all normal animal stuff yeah. and not socially distancing very well because no. they don't like to do that no definitely not <laughs> they lick each other's faces and yeah no but the fans and then this summer with it being 110 115 yeah. degrees for a couple of days which is weather we normally don't yeah. get we we're like all right you got to put misters in there so that way when they're waiting to get milked, everyone's natural body temperature drops a little bit and the heat stress was a lot better than it could have been. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that, you know, producing milk, farming cows in western Washington, it's normally an advantage here because it's cooler. Mm -hmm. But here we're getting like super hot, like desert type temperatures. Yeah. This summer with that heat wave, that was crazy. Well, and we don't have, in Western Washington, we breed a very specific type of cow, the Holstein cow. I mean, mm -hmm. that's not a cow that you're going to see. The Holstein cow you're going to see in Washington is not the Holstein cow you're going to see in Arizona. Mm. We breed them because they're acclimated to this environment. Mm -hmm. They do really good in like 65 degrees yeah. and, you know, 45 degrees. Those are their comfortable ranges. If we were in 110 every single time, we would choose a different breed of cow to milk. Yeah. So, how, but how do you really know if they're happy? So, <laughs> there's a cow right behind you, just looking at you. She wants to get in on the yeah. podcast here. Um, yeah, she's just chewing her cud. And she's like, no, don't pet my nose. <laughs> yeah. Leave me alone. She's got a big, I call it bubble gum. She's got a big wad of feed right in her mouth. She's just working on it. Yeah. And then you'll hear every now and again just the burping. It means that they're sitting there, they're working on their feed, they're laying down. That's all they need to be doing. All they want to do is sit and ruminate on their food. What about all like these metal stanchions? Why do they have to have that to stick their heads through? So not all of our pens do have them. Mm -hmm. It's our high working areas. So these two pens right here are our breeding pens or like their cows 100 days in their lactation to usually 150 days in their lactation. They're the athletes of the group. They're the ones that are producing the most. They're the most metabolically stressed as far as like production goes. Yep. So we keep the headlocks because they're going to get vaccinated at this time. Mm. If someone has a hurt foot or that kind of thing, it's easy for us to catch them. Like medical stuff. Like yeah. It's the so, like, they can go in and out of these right now. Yep. So, But the then you could get a bunch in and then flip it over, and they would, wouldn't be able to get out, so you can do, like, yeah. health checks. Yep. Yeah, because yeah. everyone gets pre-breeding vaccines. They get vaccines when they go dry just to prevent mass herd sickness. It's just a really good preventative care. We do a lot of things here for preventative care. They get yeah. hoof trimmed twice a year as preventative issues and then if they have issues on top of that they get addressed as they come up but vaccine protocols hoof care protocols there's certain like system of things that we do to make sure that they don't get sick mm -hmm. but there's 500 large animals here something's gonna get sick yeah yeah they play hard cows are not always the nicest to each other oh really no they'll they bully each other sometimes. <laughs> really? <laughs> there's definitely a... Like humans, kids on the playground. Yeah, and there's a matriarch of things. So mm. 
an older cow is going to tell a younger cow that, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I want to eat here. I'm the you, boss. Yeah, you need to get out of my way. And I think. Wow, pecking order. Yeah, and that's what's been really hard with the heat is we've been able to keep the cows cool, but there's a certain amount of dryness to the concrete that we've had going on. So, oh. like, as we're cleaning the pens, it's making, like, a nice film which makes it a little bit more slippery. So mm. that's when you'll see like, all right, next winter, we need to regroove the concrete, give some more foot support, or we'll go through and we'll spray water in the alleys. It might look like there's puddles, but that wet concrete is going to be a lot more grippy than a mm. slimy concrete. Yeah, so that makes sense. Or skip a cleaning because they get cleaned three times a day. So even that skipping of a cleaning, not the beds, but the stall or the, the alleys. Yeah. yeah, will provide more traction. So this is your job, is taking care of these cows yep. every day. Every day. <laughs> like you, as a herdswoman, that, that's what you do here, is make sure that the cows are happy. Yep. I make sure they have everything they possibly need. I have tools that help me do it, but mm. technology is not always 100%. Accurate. So yeah. they wear the little orange tags that tells me and will send me texts and alerts. And when someone's not eating enough or their milk is slightly off that day, if, you know, if she normally milks 20 pounds every single milking. Mm -hmm. And then she has one day where she's at two pounds. It'll let me know. It'll mark her as sick. Or usually in that case, it'll mark her as in heat. So when they're in heat, they don't like to let their milk down. But all of those kind of things. Just checking to see who's calving, if anyone needs help. Making sure the milkers have everything they need to keep that parlor nice and clean to create a nice quality product. And just big picture overseeing for the day. Never know what your day is going to look like. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I was just going to ask too. Like, what is the typical day for you? But... It can run the gamut, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Like, what, yeah, what, what, what are you doing oftentimes? So, I push cows to the parlor every day. And what does that mean? So, as... Kind of shoo them in there? Yep. So, when they take the group, each group goes in at a different time. There's farm life. Never stops. Uh, something's always broken. <laughs> Getting fixed. <laughs> but take the cows to the parlor and while they're in there usually three times a week they'll go through a foot bath which is like a formaldehyde or a copper sulfate that helps kill warts and does mm. hoof health it's like going get your nails done a few times a week yeah. and they get fly spray while they go through and then while that process is happening i'm going through raking beds making sure everything's nice and clean adding bedding if it needs it um making sure water troughs are clean. Um, we provide salt and bicarb to each of the pens. Um, the salt as a natural electrolyte, that kind of thing. And the bicarb is like Tums for cows. So, yeah. you know, once you have a baby, your stomach always doesn't feel the best. So they get free choice of that. And just making sure everything is stocked up for the next eight hours before they go in again. Because all the cows on this place are milked three times a day. Okay. So that process repeats that has to get done no matter what. And Can't then skip one. Nope. There's there's no skipping. If it's a mm. holiday, if it's you know, you really want to go to this thing at two o'clock in the afternoon, like you gotta make sure someone's doing it. Because, you know, they're cows. They rely yeah. on us to take care of them. Yeah. 
And then there's all the fun extra stuff that I get to do. And I've been very fortunate enough to have my boss allow me to kind of venture out into the things that I like to do. So um, pet project is like mastitis culturing. So when they get an udder infection, I take Mm -hmm. a milk sample and then I run it through a little incubator. Kind of looks like what you would use to like incubate chicken eggs Mm. and grow it on a triplate. It'll come up with what type of mastitis it is. Mm. So then from there, I can use that information to use subject, like um, different drug therapies mm. that would be most effective to treat that kind of bacteria. And so when a cow has mastitis, you aren't milking her for people to drink that milk, right? No, we have a separate, separate tank, separate area. That's anything that gets treated whatsoever, fresh cows... They're in a different section of the farm, not even remotely connected to like our milk tanks and that kind of thing. Because, you know, I trust my milkers, absolutely, 100%. But it is an extra insurance policy to make sure that there is absolutely nothing that happens without us knowing about it. So there's no chance that you'd have to walk quite a distance to have a personal vendetta to put that in people's milk. <laughs> that would be a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. What about the whole pasturing thing? You guys keep cows inside. Some people say, oh, that's really bad. You care for the cows. What do you think about that issue? So we do pasture a little bit. We pasture mm. our cows that aren't milking right now. Okay. And we do that because we have the space. If we didn't have the space, we'd have to, you know, think about it. And it comes with its own challenges because, you know, they make it a dirt lot. It's never going to be a nice section of pretty grass because they run and jump and play on it. And I think if you have it available to you and seasonally, because in Washington, you're not going to want them, you know, in the mud. Which fields are, even though they may look nice and green, they're pretty muddy. Yeah. In the middle of winter. If you have it available to you, I mean, rock the resources you have. But during the heat of the day, the cows are going to be inside. It's like 10 to 15 degrees cooler in here. We have brushes that will itch them, and they can be out of the heat of the sun. Because I think people, too, you don't want to be in the sun all day, every day. Even if you have a nice, big, comfy field as an option, they're going to want to go where it's the coolest. So the barns are able to provide that. So they're pretty happy in here, not feeling like they're cooped up and want to get out. Mm -mm. Nope. And they get, the pens are big enough. They walk around. They get plenty of exercise walking to the parlor. Some of them have a little bit of a hike to the parlor. Yeah. And then cows don't like to, we try to keep them in their pens for as long as they can because they don't really like to re-socialize in different groups. Mm. They like to stay with the same group they're usually with. Yep. They make friends. Like going to school, you may go to recess, but then you come back to the same class. Yep. (laughs) When you're little anyway. Yeah. (laughs) So what would you say that, um, by the way, we have the robot coming to visit us. This is my favorite employee. (laughs) (laughs) And this robot just pushes up that feed that's laying for the cows to chew on, right? Yep. Make sure it's as close to them as possible. Yep. So she'll go through... I call her she, I call her Juno, but um, <laughs> she goes through several times a day. Um, her boundary points are these little magnetic strips on okay. the ground, okay. so she most of the time does not run away, 
Um, hey, thank goodness. Otherwise, she would have run us over, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and they're heavy. That requires a full tractor to pick up. <laughs> Every time when she goes off path, I sing this song, like, take a drunk girl home. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. But, yeah, no, she goes through several times a day, even in the middle of the night, so we don't have to have a person taking that three hours out of their day to push up cow feed. They have regular feed on a schedule every single day. So even though the cows can kind of reach some feed there, it's that big of a deal to make sure they have as much as they feel like eating Mm -hmm. all the time. They have this robot, which I'm sure is an an inexpensive piece of equipment. Yeah. (laughs) Running all the time to make sure those cows have what they want to eat. Not that they're, they're being force-fed, because if they don't want to eat more, they don't have to, but they certainly can. Mm-hmm. Yep, it just provides a consistent, every cow has the equal opportunity to eat no matter what time of day it is. And we want them to eat as much as they possibly want to, because they're like people breastfeeding. Yeah. You see them, they lose a bunch of weight. Yeah. We don't want that. We want yeah. them to maintain that nice, robust figure. Yep. And there is absolutely, you know, they're in a negative energy balance, which means that they are producing and getting rid of more calories than they can possibly consume in that first 120 days of lactation. Mm. So any way we can slightly entice them to want to take one more bite, we're going to do it. Is there any, I mean, can you take less milk or that's just what they give? It's just the genetics of Holstein cows. I mean, you can't really tell them, you know, just cross your legs and let's hope that you don't milk that much that day. Because if you don't milk them, they're uncomfortable. They get engorged. Because you talk about them being calorie negative, like they're putting, is that because, you know, the farmer, you farmers are trying to get more and more out of them. But you're saying, no, there's like the cow controls how much she gives. No, it's just her, it's her genetic, her natural metabolic stuff that's going on in her body. She's waking up one day, having a calf, producing 120 pounds. That's a big strain on the body. And then she's also trying to, you know, eat as much as she can to replenish what she's burned that day. So Mm -hmm. you see those, like, naturally thin people. And you think Holstein cow. You see the short people with a bigger belly, you think Jersey cow. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things where her body is naturally set up to look a certain way. She's never going to look like a big round Angus cow because mm. their demands are different. She's yeah. The Holstein cow is designed to milk essentially 2% at 120 pounds. It's 8 pounds in a gallon, so... Lots of milk every single day. So anything that we can do to help that natural body, we're going to try to do, which is why we have the robot going around, which is why we make sure that, you know, feed is fresh because silage will naturally get warm. So we go through, make sure that feed is smelling good. It looks like we did when we first put it down. If they're getting a little bit low, well, all right, let's make another batch. We make probably... I think Jerry said like 12 to 16 different batches of feed every single day. All and a batch the is like silage, like you're talking about. So what is that, corn and or grass that's been fermented? Yep. Um, we ferment it so it stores easier. 
Mm. We also ferment it so you typically get more protein out of your feed. Mm. It's more digestible. You can feed the same thing all year round. And then we add hay for fiber and protein, a little bit of grain, and we work with a nutritionist that goes through our herd, goes through our milk production, goes through what our cows look like to be able to make their own blend. So like this farm's feed is going to be, you know, we have the same ingredients. We're cooking the same chocolate chip cookie, (laughs) (laughs) but these guys are going to need something a little bit different than the next farm would because all of our fields are different. So you have to put all the vitamins and minerals and that kind of stuff in there too. And yeah, yeah. grass is not grass is not grass. Yeah. (laughs) So so they actually like sample your grass and your corn so they know what nutrients are in it and they know what additional nutrients they then need to give to the cow. Exactly. Yep. Now we, um, each round of silage that goes in, each time some, a field is cut, each new batch of grain, everything is sent to a lab so we know exactly what's in it. There's no guessing game. And then it goes into a fancy computer program and it balances all the things that we're looking for. Mm. And that actually plugs into our tractor. So they'll tell us how many pounds of corn silage to put in, how many pounds of hay to put in. Wow. We humans really probably should have something like that. Yeah. I mean, I read my labels <laughs> sometimes to generally know what I'm eating, but my diet is not nearly as controlled for what I need for my health as that. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> I mean... I don't think I think about what I eat nearly as much as I think about what the cows are eating that day. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. So what do you say then? I mean, we talk, We started talking uh, at the beginning about, you know, skeptics and dairy is scary. And what, what's your response to those folks? It's come see what we do. Mm. Come. We have an obligation as dairy farmers in the last five 10 years to be the most... There goes more farm life. (laughs) That's our man, Tancho. (laughs) But we have an obligation to go through and let's show you what we do. You want to walk through on farm? You want to see it on a video? I mean, the people who have negative things to say are going to be doing the exact same thing. So in this generation of farming, it is our job to have a transparent industry. Let me know what you want to see because also, like, we don't necessarily know the exact pinpoints that the general public want to see because we do it every single day. So right. if there's... To you, it's normal, but to somebody else, yeah. it's like, whoa, that's cool. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, the simple things that we do and why we do them and why they have loop stalls. And it's those types of things that we're more than happy to share and there's been so many good platforms coming up for us to be able to share that information on i mean the first kind of wave of that was was facebook yeah, i mean for sure there social a, media there's yeah. a lot of different farmers that went to facebook that showed what's going on and started there and then there has been a recent boom of tiktokers and i've been tiktoking as well nice and just to really show in like a 60 second video with we have fun with our jobs we like what we do it's a whole lifestyle of what we do Hmm. and if the consumer wants to see what we do I mean they're the people buying our product so let's show them what we do because there's nobody who chooses to work on a dairy farm that doesn't like it because 
it's 365 days a year. It's snow. It's hot. It's all of these types of things that, you know, the average person, you have to be a little crazy to want to do it. (laughs) That's what I've heard from so many people is you have to love it. Otherwise, you you can't do it. You'll get sick of it. And it's not just, I love the cows. I don't think anyone would ever tell you that I didn't love the cows. But I love the lifestyle. I love the, you know, not knowing what I'm doing that day, but I'm going to figure it out as I go. I like the waking up early in the morning and then getting off at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, taking a break, and then coming back. I like that. I like coming. I like starting Christmas in the parlor. Just a consistent day. It's my quiet time. Mm. Even Christmas morning, you're... Yep. (laughs) Here on the farm. On the farm. Cow's got to eat. Cow's got to milk. There's always going to be poop to clean up. Never stops. Yeah. So how in the world did you get into all this? Did you grow up on a farm? No, not at all, actually. Um, Both my parents work in the medical field. Mm. And my sisters have nothing to do with animals. It's my, the closest thing I'd say is my grandpa was a mechanic and sometimes worked on tractors <laughs> that's kind of the closest thing that we got going but um yeah. I went to WSU originally to work with horses because um, I had a small horse farm next to me growing up that I got mm. to be involved with my first large animal mm-hmm. and then after that I was sitting in my chemistry 105 review and I was like you know I'm not a hundred percent sold on this I don't think I want to do this. Be a like horse person? Yeah. I don't want to be a vet. I don't want to spend eight years if I'm unsure. Because I'm sure there's someone else that is positively sure. And I don't deserve it if I'm not 100% right, sure. Right. So I decided the next semester to take my first hands-on cow class. And it was at a little dairy that's a part of Washington State University. And I fell in love with the... I fell in love with the industry. I had so many moving parts. It was a bunch of new things for me to learn. And there was a small group on campus called CUDS that really allowed me to work on being a professional in the industry and what that looked like and not just, ah, go play with cows. (laughs) Right, right. Um, And it allowed me to be able to meet my first employer before I graduated and had my first job contract signed before I left Pullman. And I ended up moving back to my hometown to a little dairy that I had no idea existed. Mm. It was just probably 10 minutes away from my house. Had no idea there was a head, like 300 head of cows there. Mm. And I learned a lot from that first job. It was exactly what I needed, not being in the industry, but having a person in the industry teach me individual cow care, be hands-on with me, teach me what it is to be a dairy farmer outside of an educational basis. And then that taught me the skills to be able to move to a bigger farm, to be able to look at 300 head of cows the same individual way that I look at 500 head of cows. And I'm assuming it would be the same way if we had 1,000 cows. So, yeah, why did you want to move to a bigger dairy? So... Originally, I took a baby step, and I went to meat producing and went to a packing house and learned the whole full circle farming. 
because dairy cow's second purpose is a beef cow. And actually a lot of the beef that's produced in the United States is dairy cows. And it's, it was important to me to know the other side of farming. Mm. The, I know once we loaded them on the truck, and that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> so going into a pack house and working on systems like humane handling and making sure that up until the end of her life, she has the most consistent humane treatment and that they already had those programs in place. You know, I think that's was kind of mind boggling to me because, you know, big picture. I didn't know that, you know, USDA is on each site at a meatpacking place. They get checked before they go through the kill shoot. They get checked after they get killed. Like, there are so many preventative steps to make sure there is absolutely no animal cruelty going into your meat. The same way it is on a dairy farm. I've thought about that recently, and actually Lulu Redder, the small meat farmer up in Duval that we had on the podcast a while back, said something to me, which is, we think that they should have no bad days until, yeah, that last moment yeah. of their life. And, you know, because I've always struggled with that. It's like, okay, we're trying to be super humane, no animal cruelty, but then well, you kill that animal because then they get eaten. But really, if you think about it, anything that's alive, whether it's bugs, animals, yeah. humans, we all die. Mm-hmm. And having gone through that personally in my life recently of losing a person close to me, that can be an awful long, slow process. Yeah. And it's not that way for these animals. So in some ways it's like, yeah, I mean, not to get too like morbid or about it, but it's like, I'd rather it go that way than, you know, have a long drawn out suffering kind of situation. So maybe it's not so bad after all. Well, and cows don't, cows don't mourn the way people do. I think that's really key to remember when you're thinking about everything is we mourn way differently than them. There is, and it, (laughs) she's throwing spit at you. On me? (laughs) I was spitting on me over here. Oh Um, yeah, there's a a drop of spit (laughs) all the way over here. Yeah. And on my computer. 2927, gotta watch out for that one. (laughs) She's a spitter. (laughs) Wow. But I think... Seeing all of the advancements in slaughterhouse design, like that is really cool because they most of the slaughterhouses use Temple Grandin's design mm. for humane handling. It's like a low stress flow that goes through and in the physical like knocking box where the animal is euthanized. Mm-hmm. It's most of the time it's soundproof. So even if you have another cow right behind her, She has absolutely no idea what's happening. And she just, in her own little world, because I've spent lots of hours up in the knocking box, and she has no idea. There's no... Oh, and they want them to be stress-free for the quality of the meat, too, right? Yep, exactly. A stressed animal is not going to have the same meat quality as a relaxed animal going in. Mm. So what... uh you said you wanted to learn the whole process. What did you learn? What did you come away with after seeing kind of the beef side of, of cattle farming? The beef side of cattle farming made me a lot more comfortable to eat meat. Really? Yeah. It. So it didn't gross you out and turf, turn you off like, ooh, I don't, I'm not sure how I feel about this after seeing it up close. No. It was one of those things where, like, 
I didn't know some of the laws and regulations that specifically went into live animals that are being stored at a slaughterhouse. So, I mean, you can't kill 150 all at the same time. You know, it's a, it's a, she'll be there for anywhere from 30 minutes to sometimes like 12 hours. Well, it's illegal to not provide water. And, you know, this silly things that you'd think that, you know, people but would you, just provide water, but no. It you is hear it. accusations about that. Oh, cow, you know, they weren't given any water. They were put in this bad situation or that bad situation. Yeah. And you're saying you've seen firsthand, no, that doesn't happen. Also, B, there are laws to say it's illegal to not have that happen. Yeah. The USDA is on site. So, I mean, you try to do that, your whole facility is shut down. It's mm. just not worth it for you. And uh, knowing that... You know, you're not going to be eating a cow that was sickly. It is mm. against the law to harvest an animal that is down and that she can't get up and stand. She has to be moving on all four feet, and then she qualifies to be able to. There, I mean, mm. there's so many, so many ways to help protect the animals because a farmer, if I have a cow that's limping, I'm not going to send her to beef because I know that she's just going to turn around and come back on a truck and say, no, we don't want that kind of quality of cow. And then I'm going to doctor her up, fix her up and get her to a place where she can have a different position. So do you love it? Yeah. I think it's safe to say I love it. (laughs) I can tell that you do. It's, it's, I think it's hard for you to hide (laughs) the fact that you love it, but that's interesting. You went through that step and, and now you're here. What was it like coming to this farm? It was, uh, it was like a breath of fresh air coming back into the dairy industry after taking a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. It was that complete affirmation of, I know I want to be here. And it was a move for me. I moved from my hometown two hours north to Whatcom County, which yeah. has just been a blessing. I, Whatcom County is, I think, to anyone who hasn't been here, if you're at all interested in farming, it is the biggest hug Mm. of farming you're ever gonna get because all of your neighbors have farmed there's your aunts and uncles and grandparents and all of these people who have they know exactly where you go they know exactly what you do if I don't make it to a family dinner with my in-laws they're like you know what she's milking cows she's doing something more important than eating with us like it's yeah so coming here and being able to have the freedom to work with the cows and having the freedom to, you know, I wanted to do mastitis culturing and work on that kind of thing. Uh, This is a place that I can perpetually be a lifelong learner. And hopefully that keeps me, you know, young and youthful and (laughs) that sort of thing and keeps me able to constantly be a better version of myself. And that's really what the dairy industry has provided for me. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing the whole story. Yeah. I, I, once you hear what you've been, and especially that you didn't grow up around this. So it's like you didn't take any of this stuff for granted years ago. You had to learn it all yourself and you still embrace it. And the way you talk and, you know, the, your lifestyle, you know, because I did grow up around this kind of thing. And not that I need to make it like a do you fit in or not, but you totally have that exact same bo- vibe, even though you didn't have that. Yeah growing up around it you've learned this world and like i said yeah i could tell you love it 
We had to get a moo or two in before the, the podcast was over. It was, you know, bound to happen. Thank you, 3452. <laughs> Got a nice set of pipes on her. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> so anyway, thank you very much for, for sharing all that with us and for what you do, making sure that cows are treated well, that our milk is healthy and clean, that you produce. Awesome, and I appreciate it. Thank you, and I really appreciate being able to, like, share what I do, share the absolute love I have for farming to be able to use this opportunity as another platform to connect to consumers because, you know, we couldn't do what we do without people that buy our milk. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 